to Natural MD Radio, your place to hear the whole truth on health and medicine for women and children and get the tools you need to take back your health naturally starting now. I'm Dr. Aviva Ram. Hi, this is Dr. Aviva Ram with Natural MD Radio bringing you episode 124. COVID-19, pregnancy and breastfeeding, what we know is reassuring. During pregnancy, we're fiercely protective of our health and feel especially responsible for everything we do and expose ourselves and baby to. If you're pregnant naturally, you're concerned about COVID-19 for your own health and your babies. Who wouldn't be? We're inundated with an overwhelming awareness of how fast it's spreading. There's a lot of uncertainty about the infection. There are lockdowns, quarantines. It's like living in a science fiction movie, but it's really happening. While a thorough search of the medical literature and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention website for data on COVID-19 and pregnancy shows just how very little is known at this time about the impact of COVID-19 on pregnancy and pregnancy outcomes and newborns, the good news is that what we do know so far, and we're a good several months into the outbreak, is generally reassuring about the risks of this infection to otherwise healthy women who are pregnant and their babies. Let's look at the biggest areas of concern together, who might be at higher risk, how to prevent COVID-19 and SARS-CoV-2 exposure, and what to do if you should contract it. First, I want to make something really clear. The wild efforts going on right now to contain this virus doesn't mean it's a horrible, deadly virus to most people. We're containing it so that those who are at risk have reduced likelihood of exposure from the rest of us who will just act as asymptomatic carriers or people who will have it just as a cold. Aggressive containment is an appropriate public health measure to stop the spread of something moving fast. We can all do our part in that for the sake of the few who might get really, really sick. So where do pregnant women fit into that scheme? How sick is this virus likely to make you? Based on the data we have so far, it seems that for some reason, women, including pregnant women, experience less severe infection than men. The largest majority of women who contract COVID-19 experience mild to moderate cold or flu-like symptoms. Based on one small study published in The Lancet using cases from early in the outbreak in China of nine pregnant women who were studied, their symptoms were largely mild to moderate. None of them developed severe complications, none died, and their babies were generally healthy. That said, the data is still limited. OBs and family doctors and other obstetric practitioners around the country are preparing for a heavy influx into the hospitals in the next few weeks of women who are infected with SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19, and expect some to have COVID-19. But that study was tiny, the infection was very new at the time, and here's the important point and why you might be hearing confusing information. While pregnant women are less likely to contract and get sick from this virus, pregnant women are more susceptible to complications when they do develop respiratory infections, especially if they have chronic diseases or pregnancy complications already, something like gestational diabetes 
or prenatal hypertension or a chronic autoimmune disease that they also have in pregnancy. So it's essential to be vigilant about prevention and also early identification of severe symptoms. Natural shifts in immunity during pregnancy and additional demands on women's respiratory systems, particularly as pregnancy gets more advanced, do put pregnant women, especially, as I said, those already at higher risk, at a slightly higher risk for severe complications should they contract flu. And we also saw this particularly with H1N1, which was influenza A. And there are substantially greater risks to women with underlying medical complications in addition like asthma or more severe systemic autoimmune conditions like lupus. I talk about autoimmune conditions on another podcast and another blog, and you can find that link over at my website at avivaram.com, let's see, avivaram.com forward slash category forward slash COVID dash 19, all lowercase. So avivaram.com forward slash category forward slash COVID dash 19. And so you can learn more. Many autoimmune conditions don't increase risk, but there are a few like systemic lupus that do. However, as opposed to flu, which increases women's risk when they're pregnant, pregnant women do not appear to be at higher risk of severe disease from COVID-19, according to a World Health Organization report. So just to clarify that, pregnant women and women in general seem to be at lower risk of contracting this virus and getting sick from it. Pregnant women who get sick with the flu, H1N1, which is a type of flu, do seem to have very high risk of getting more severe complications. But so far, with COVID-19, that's not what we're seeing. At present, there's only one reported case of a woman with COVID-19 who required mechanical ventilation at 30 weeks of gestation, following which she had an emergency C-section and made a good recovery. Nevertheless, the risk is real, and women who have gotten pneumonia from COVID-19 and who have gotten sick have developed adult acute respiratory distress syndrome pretty quickly. Nonetheless, we want to just be really thoughtful of, you know, this balancing act between understanding what the real risks are and how we're managing what's happening around maternity care in the United States. In one report of 147 pregnant women in China from early in the outbreak, 64 had confirmed COVID-19, 82 had suspected, and one was asymptomatic, 8% had severe disease, and 1% were critical. Now, according to the report, this is actually considered a very low risk of infection. Of course, for the 1%, if that's someone in your family, that's 100%, right? If it's happening to you, it's 100%. So we want to do all we can to help pregnant women and pregnant women, especially with underlying medical conditions, to be really diligent about preventing infection whenever possible. And I call this hysterical hygiene, fastidious hand washing, and avoiding all the exposures to the extent you can, particularly following the Centers for Disease Control guidelines, which I also link to over on my webpage. What about baby's health during pregnancy? Well, first, let's talk about miscarriage, preterm birth, and stillbirth. While both SARS and MERS 
also forms of coronavirus, did increase miscarriage and stillbirth rates, and severe influenza does increase miscarriage risk, at this time, there's no reason to believe that COVID-19 increases either. There have been some cases of preterm births in women with the infection, but it's unclear, according to the medical literature, whether these were due to COVID-19 infection. But from what we can tell right now, the risk still appears to be low. Fever in mom and risk to baby, of course, is one of the major concerns that pregnant women might have, but also obstetricians and family doctors and midwives might have due to associations that have been made with maternal fever and increased risks of birth defects in the baby, particularly neural tube and cardiac defects. However, the concern itself between the fever association and birth defects is actually a little bit more controversial than definitive with conflicting data from a number of different studies. For example, a 2014 meta-analysis of 46 studies found that fever during the first trimester may be associated with cleft lip or palate neural tube defects or heart defects, but some of the studies included in that review had insufficient evidence to confirm the association. The CDC reported an increased likelihood of neural tube defects in babies born to women who have fever in pregnancy, but a 2017 report from another source based on a study of fever outcomes of 77,344 pregnant women enrolled in Danish national birth cohort studies over six years from 1996 to 2002 where self-reported information on fever during first trimester was available, did not show any association between maternal fever in pregnancy and risk of congenital anomalies. And that's especially interesting in that study because the greatest risk is thought to be in the first trimester. Further, most studies suggest that if a pregnant mom uses medications to reduce the fever, that has a completely protective effect. So, for example, taking Tylenol. And another 2017 study did report an association between fever around the time of conception and an increased risk for neural tube defects in baby, but found that this risk was lessened in mothers who were taking 400 micrograms of folic acid daily, which is a recommendation that if you're trying to conceive is optimal to already be on. Now, of course, 50% of pregnancies are unexpected. So as soon as you do find out that you're pregnant, just make sure to get on to folic acid. If you didn't have a fever at the time of conception, it's very low likelihood that this is going to be a problem for you. And also, even if you did have a fever, we still know that the risks are low. And just to reiterate, it does seem that there's increased risk or that the risk is really mostly only a concern if the fever is in the first trimester, but also if the fever is greater or equal to 102.2 degrees Fahrenheit, which is 39 degrees Celsius. So in short, the risk of fever in pregnancy causing congenital defects in the baby is unclear. However, if there is risk, it appears to be greatest in the first trimester with higher fevers, as I've mentioned, and risk is reduced if you're already taking folic acid and or you use fever-reducing redu medication, which you should discuss with your midwife or doctor to bring the fever down. While in general, I don't recommend chronic use of Tylenol or long-term use of Tylenol for fevers or frequent use during pregnancy, or even for fevers that are lower than the uh, level that I described, short-term use during flu or for COVID-19 
is absolutely recommended. And at this time, the risks outweigh, I'm sorry, the benefits outweigh the risks. And I link up to my article on Tylenol during pregnancy, and I do discuss the risks, but I don't want that to deter you from during this special time of concern, not hesitating if you have a fever, if it's over 102.2 or whatever level your midwife or family doctor, OB, whoever your primary care provider is for your pregnancy, discusses with you um, during pregnancy and especially first trimester. So what about mom to baby transmission during pregnancy? According to all studies so far, which are still preliminary, of course, because we're very early on in this, it does not appear that pregnant moms can pass SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19, onto their babies in utero, which is called vertical transmission. Babies born to moms with COVID-19 infection have not tested positive for the virus at birth, and there's been no detectable COVID-19 in the, or now as we call it SARS-CoV-2, in the amniotic fluid or umbilical cord of those newborns. There's also no evidence that a mother can infect her baby during labor or birth. Further, while babies can and have become infected by covid 19, which I talk more about uh, in a few minutes when I talk about breastfeeding, one preliminary study suggested that babies are not likely to be severely affected. Some babies might, but most babies won't. For example, none of the nine babies exposed to COVID-19 in China, as reported in a study published in JAMA, had severe complications nor required intensive care. However, in a different report on 10 babies born to nine mothers in China, there was one set of twins, that's why there's a number discrepancy, in mothers who had active symptomatic COVID-19 infection, there was a higher rate of respiratory distress and other complications in these babies, including one neonatal death. Of note, all of those babies were born by C-section, I don't know what the la- the labor or other existing complications might have been for those moms. In this study, all of the babies tested negative for SARS-CoV-2. So the authors couldn't definitively say that those complications were all due to maternal COVID-19 infection. Nonetheless, it's important to remain aware of possible risks, vigilant to signs of distress or COVID-19 infection in the babies and mom, of course, and do our best to prevent their exposure in the first place. And we really need to prioritize and expand screening for pregnant women. Many women have written to me during this time and said, well, what if I'm trying to conceive? There's no medical reason to believe that you should avoid conception during this time. Make sure you're taking folic acid or for those of you who know you have MTHFR SNPs, uh, which I talk about in another podcast and blog and link up to, make sure you're taking methylfolate for the rest of you. If you're not sure, you can take methylfolate or take folic acid. About 800 micrograms a day is an optimal amount. And other than that, choosing to pursue conception right now uh, is a personal choice, whether that is natural conception, the old-fashioned way, or whether it is um, assisted with IUI or IVF. Um, you know, talk with your care provider and just think about you know whether this is a good time for you based on your own personal stress and what's you know what's weighing on you right now. Um, but medically, there's no reason not to. From everything we know at this point. Another question I'm getting is, should you go to the clinic for prenatal visits? 
Interestingly, in the United Kingdom, pregnant women have all been encouraged to call the clinic, midwives, or doctor's office before going in for regularly scheduled visits. And coming down the pike in the U.S., we're going to see, or some people are already implementing those recommendations. I think right now it's wise for pregnant women to not go to the prenatal clinic unless you have a concern your OB or midwife has had a concern, or you've already been diagnosed as high risk. Otherwise, if you're healthy and low risk, try to do your appointments by telemedicine checkup, or at least you know do periodic appointments, extend the um, time period between appointments. Maybe if you're uh, in your third trimester, instead of having every other week or every week, see if you can put that off a little bit discuss it with your care provider. If you're high risk, it's likely that you'll need to keep your appointments, but call ahead to the office to see how they will be protecting your health. If you have COVID-19 or cold or flu symptoms and aren't sure if you have COVID-19, call the office before you go in for your regularly scheduled appointment and let them know you're sick. They'll give you instructions on what to do to prevent possibly infecting other patients or midwifery clients in the office. Of course, same with your doula. If you're planning a home birth or you're working with a midwife in an out-of-hospital setting, please recognize that sometimes there may be a more relaxed attitude about infection transmission, particularly if you're going to a midwife's home and it's a more relaxed setting. But you're not necessarily at less risk of exposure if you're getting an exam on a midwife's sofa on their bed, or their other comfy place to stretch out if all the people she's examining are doing the same thing. And I know because as a home birth midwife for 25 years, my sofa was my exam table and it wasn't covered with paper that I changed after each successive client had her exam, as can be done in a medical office. So ask how she's keeping the space sanitized. How is she preventing infection spread? And make sure she's washing her hands between each visit wiping down the fetoscope or Doppler, etc., just as you would and should ask a doctor or hospital or clinic-based midwife. We often assume a natural approach means we can let go of basic public health measures, but that's not smart thinking if we're really trying to protect ourselves from infection. Also, as healthcare workers, all of us, midwives, doulas, medical doctors, we're trained to work when we're sick. It's perfectly fair to ask your healthcare provider if she has symptoms or has been sick before you go to the office or get examined. And I can tell you from working in the hospital, I mean, just to give you one example, when I was a senior resident and in charge of the interns and the second year residents working in the hospital, I was walking up the hallway one day and one of the interns was approaching me. She had a pair of gloves in her hand. She dropped one of the gloves on the ground. She bent down to pick it up and started to put it on her hand. And I said, oh no, you didn't, because it was back in the day when we still said, oh no, you didn't. And um, sure enough, I've seen more examples of situations where hand washing, uh, hand sanitizing wasn't done. The stethoscope goes from one patient to the next. The doctor's wearing the same white coat as in the previous office and then coming in and hanging out with you or coming in from hospital room to hospital room and not putting on personal protective equipment, which is in shortage right now and wearing the same white coat and sitting on your bed. So it is incumbent on you and your partner or support person or doula to 
say, hold on a minute, have you X, Y, Z? Washed your hands, sanitized your hands. <clears throat> Has that fetoscope been cleaned? Has that Doppler been cleaned? Et cetera, et cetera. It doesn't matter if somebody thinks you're a pain in the butt. Right now, your health is your interest. And sometimes it's a good reminder. Just another example. I was in um, the hospital one day and the baby had been born. I was working there and the baby had been born and I turned my back for a second. Uh, the nurse standing behind me sneezed into her hand and then reached out to start to check the cord to see if it had stopped pulsating because I was waiting for the uh, cord to stop pulsating for the placenta to uh, be delivered. And I caught her in mid-reach. I was like, stop. And she said, what? I said, you just sneezed right into your hand. And she hadn't even noticed that she had done it. So you being a pain in the butt, you're, you know, it shouldn't be your responsibility, but right now don't hesitate to do it. All right. One concern recently brought to my attention is whether the risk of going to the hospital to birth due to possible exposure to SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19 infection exposure, should warrant switching to a home birth. At this point, hospitals are being instructed and are implementing protocols that should protect women in labor and birth, and there's no reason to switch to a home birth at this time just because of that. I will talk in a subsequent article and podcast coming out sometime this week about what to do if you're told that you have to pick between your doula and your partner. This is happening around the country. Um, so I'll, I'll come back to that. But right now, um, you know, there's no reason to switch. To that though, in the United Kingdom, women with low risk pregnancies are being advised to remain at home as long as possible in early labor to mitigate exposure risk. And I think that unless you have a high risk pregnancy or an emergency and there's a need to get to the hospital right away is very sensible for women here. For women who do have COVID-19 infection, however, when they went, when they enter labor, it's absolutely important to have your baby in the hospital, because if you or your baby were to develop complications in labor, like respiratory distress or during birth, that's where you really need to be. Most home birth midwives, um, et cetera, are not going to be prepared. The hospital's barely prepared at this point to know how to respond. So that time lag between getting sick and getting sicker, uh, if you are already sick with the flu also, um, I recommend a hospital birth. Also, as I mentioned, healthcare workers working when we're sick, whether it's your home birth midwife or your doula, they have to have a backup plan. She should get her assistant um, or someone else um, to provide coverage in the event of a doula birth. A home birth midwife needs to have another home birth midwife who's just as qualified as the one that you selected to be there for you. Just last year, a neighbor who's a doula called me to ask if she should attend a birth in a hospital, even though she and her son were sick. The answer I gave her was unequivocally no. So if you are a midwife or a doula, have a backup, especially in this time when there is COVID and there is flu. All right. So what about breastfeeding with um, SARS-V2, COVID-2 infection or COVID-19? Bottom line, with rare exception of severe infection in mom, breastfeeding is absolutely recommended even if the mom has COVID-19. As the Centers for Disease Control website says, as of the time that I'm recording this, breastfeeding protects babies against infection. Boom, period. 
COVID-19 has not been detected in breast milk. Currently, the primary concern is not whether the virus can be transmitted through your breast milk, but rather whether an infected mother can transmit the virus through respiratory droplets during the breastfeeding period. If you have confirmed COVID-19 or you're symptomatic, the most important thing you can do is take all possible precautions to avoid spreading the virus to the baby. This can be done by washing your hands before touching your baby and wearing a face mask, if possible, while you're breastfeeding your baby. If you express your milk manually or pump with a with a breast pump, you should wash your hands before touching any pump or bottle parts, follow recommendations for pop, proper pump cleaning after each use, and if you have COVID-19, you can consider having someone who's not infected feed the express breast milk to a baby with a bottle, which is actually what's going to be recommended in hospitals, though this isn't considered a strict recommendation. If you're well now and you're able to pump, I do recommend stockpiling some breast milk in the freezer. So that if you get COVID-19 while you're breastfeeding or while you're pregnant and you feel exhausted, you've given birth, you feel exhausted, you want to breastfeed, or you feel more comfortable distancing yourself from your baby for your own peace of mind, then you have milk on hand for someone to feed the baby from a bottle. Rest assured, the age-old worries about nipple confusion from bottle to breast have been long put to rest. Babies can nimbly switch back from breast to bottle, to breast again after bottle feeding. If you do get sick and you're breastfeeding or pregnant, it's really important to stay well hydrated. Have someone who can help you with the baby if the baby's been born so you can get some sleep or older kids if you already have kids. And also during convalescence, because you could feel weak for a while, it's important to have some extra help. But breastfeeding itself is not dangerous for you if you're sick. You do have to be willing to ask for help and take it, which I know is hard for a lot of us, and really do a lot of resting. Echinacea, ginger ginger tea, vitamin C, and zinc are all considered safe while breastfeeding. I link over on the corresponding blog page to this podcast uh, to a blog I did and podcast I have on preventing infection uh, with natural supplements, what's safe, what's not. And in that, I do talk about the specific ones that are safe or not during pregnancy and breastfeeding. So you can hop over there for more details and doses. And of course, I talk a lot about herbs in pregnancy and breastfeeding in my classic book, The Natural Pregnancy Book. But keep in mind, COVID-19 is new. I didn't talk about it in that book, which came out over 25 years ago. And herbs can be supportive in colds and mild flu. But there's not adequate information on what herbs can do for severe infection or complications. And there's no proof that herbs or supplements can help with COVID-19 in those cases. In those cases, go to the hospital, call first as the protocol recommends, go to the hospital, and um, that's a time for conventional appropriate treatment. Although, unfortunately, there won't be medical treatment. There'll be supportive treatment because we don't have conventional treatment for COVID-19 yet either. What about travel? Should you avoid it? Right now, there's no evidence that you shouldn't travel or take a baby moon, but the reality is that travel restrictions are going into place all over the country. As of this recording just yesterday, California shut down something like three or six counties where they're telling people not to leave their home outside of absolutely necessary reasons. 
Uh, I was uh, speaking yesterday with a woman who asked me some questions about COVID-19 for an interview. They're a military family. Her husband is non-active duty army. All the army, apparently, at least according to what she told me, have been asked to not travel and protect themselves from exposure in the event that their services are needed. So they need to be called to active duty for any reason. So my recommendation, frankly, stay home, you know, go out for necessary things. If you need to get some groceries, if you need to uh, get your mail from the post office, like I do, because I live rurally, um, keep your exposures really minimal, keep a healthy three to six foot different uh, distance between people. And keep in mind that social isolation is different than social distancing. Social distancing is what we're supposed to be doing now. Social isolation is when you stay at home, you don't talk to anybody, you don't see anybody. That is not healthy for anyone, and it's especially not healthy for pregnant women and moms with new babies. I mean, it increases our risk for postpartum depression. So find ways to stay connected. A small posse of people that you're super close to who will be honest with you if they're sick and not come by or have any symptoms or their kids are sick or have any symptoms or you know stay in touch by FaceTime, Skype, Zoom. You can do a Zoom hangout with your, you know, your pals. Um that's what I'm doing, keeping all exposure, getting out and travel to um Oh, I'm not traveling at all right now. In fact, I just canceled a trip, but really keep it to a limit. There's so much going on. The other thing is you don't want to end up getting sick somewhere else that's not home and get quarantined there. So that's a whole other risk that can happen or end up on a lockdown. So stay home, enjoy the rest, uh, You know, do things that you've been wanting to do for a long time. Anything from Marie Kondoing your closet to writing that book you've always wanted to write. If you've got little kids underfoot, you know, um, I'm going to do another piece on being home. I homeschooled all four of my kids, my oldest two um, through to college and my youngest two to um, eighth and 10th grade, respectively. So I know a thing or two about staying home with kids. And there's so many ways to enjoy this time. It's rare for so many of us to have that time. Um, I know a lot of moms and dads who are, you know, moms and moms and dads and dads who are home with their kids right now and kind of, you know, um, leaning into it a little bit, if you can do that. And um, lots and lots of activities you can do. I just spent a week babysitting my grandkids and we did origami for like two hours every day. And you don't even have to have origami paper. You can just have white printer paper and cut it into squares. Um, just like things like that, baking, um, being creative, making tents and you know, hiding in the tents with chairs and sheets. And look, I don't want to encourage people to do a bunch of screen time with their kids. But, you know, when I was pregnant with my fourth baby, I was homeschooling. I had three kids, eight and under at that time, and I didn't have a TV either. I was a hardcore hippie mom, homeschooler, and um, didn't have a TV. And I had a midwifery client who, oh, and I needed a nap. Like by afternoon, most days I wanted an hour, just quiet time to myself. My partner worked full time out of the home and... um I had a midwifery client who came over one day. This absolutely, she was just like a riot. This woman was a pistol. And she was, if she if she hit five feet tall, I mean, she was this tiny little firecracker, big and pregnant. And she was having her third or fourth baby. And she said to me, and I lived in Atlanta at the time, outside of Atlanta, she had a heavy Southern accent. She said, now Viva, sometimes in life, you gotta make a choice get a TV or kill a kid. And I just 
burst out laughing. Now, obviously, I'm <laughs> not recommending any corporal punishment, and none of us are going to kill a kid, but her point was taken, right? Sometimes screen time is fine, and if you need a break, just be thoughtful about what your kids are watching. Give yourself a break. Don't beat yourself over the head about this. Just do it. These are exceptional times. And hey, I'll tell you a really funny story talking about things we expose our kids to. When I was six years old, I took a road trip with my mom and my grandmother and my grandfather. We were heading down to Miami, Florida to visit my great-grandmother who was this Hungarian Jewish woman who I didn't learn until 12 years or more after she died. And I was already studying and practicing herbal medicine that she had been an herbalist, which was really cool. But anyway, she and her two sisters, my tantas, went to Florida every winter, and then they came up to New York every summer, and they had an apartment in Williamsburg that they shared together, or they distributed amongst their respective children. So it was winter, and I was on winter holiday from school, so we take this road trip down to Florida, and we get stuck. This is like 1972, I think. We get stuck in a snowstorm south of the border, right? This was a historic event, like one of those things like the New York City blackout. Well, the snowstorm in South Carolina is one of those things you can Google. And so we had to stay in a Holiday Inn for five days. I mean, they were so under-equipped. I mean, it was like we are now, but on a smaller scale, but the state barely had snow plows and salt and all that stuff. So we were holed up in a Holiday Inn for five days. Not only us, but there were no rooms for people. They were so overbooked. So people were sleeping with blankets um, in the lobby, and it was really something. And my mom, who was really good at keeping me occupied and entertaining me, could only find one deck of cards left in the Holiday Inn store. It was this giant oversized blue deck of cards. Like my hands were too little to hold them. And so I had, you know, like when you're a kid and you're playing cards, you have to put them down beside you. And guess what the cards were? They were naked lady cards. So on a scale of one to 10, screen time with appropriate television screening or video games or naked lady cards, hey, I turned out okay. Although I did turn out to be <laughs> a woman who does women's health. So maybe there was something there. All right, but back to um, our, our discussion here. Another big question is, should you get the flu vaccine or what about DTaP? And I am barely wanting to touch this because I don't want to unleash a firestorm on myself, frankly. But the reality is the risk of contracting flu is still greater than the risk of contracting COVID-19. It has been for months. We've had more flu cases in the United States this season alone than all the COVID cases that have been at least documented in the United States, in the world, cumulatively so far. And before COVID even hit the United States, we had already had more than double the amount of flu deaths that had been recorded at the time. We still have, have had double the amount of flu deaths. Now, I'm not comparing flu to COVID. What I'm saying is we're all freaking out about COVID and SARS-CoV-2, but how many people have actually gotten their flu shot this year? So I'm not going to get into the nuances of flu and flu vaccine. I think it's too complicated and too controversial. All I'm saying is that if you're that concerned, that is still a risk. The risk, risk is going to start to go down pretty soon because we're heading to the end of flu season. However, two years ago, there was a second wave of really serious flu that happened in April and May. The other thing is that when pregnant women experience the flu, 
they do have more complications. We're not seeing that with COVID-19, but we do know that that is the case with the flu. So if you're really concerned and also just want to protect yourself from one less thing, then getting the um, flu vaccine is a reasonable choice. That's, that's what I'm saying here. And if you do choose to get it, you have to get the killed vaccine, not the live virus, not the intranasal. That is contraindicated even medically during pregnancy. And if you do get it, get, a, get the killed virus from the single preloaded injection. That's the one that doesn't have the thimerosal. The, the multivial does. Now, look, the amount is extremely small compared to the amount of stuff we're exposed to in our environment every day, even in our home environment, just from wearing our shoes in our homes and our home indoor air. It's still less, so I want you to not be freaking out about that if you feel like for yourself getting the flu vaccine right now is going to give you peace of mind. That brings me to a rumor going around on the internet that getting the flu vaccine increases the risk of contracting coronavirus. That rumor is based on a 2020 article published in a journal called Vaccine. I can't even attest to the um, the uh, credibility of that of that journal. I've looked at their masthead. It seems credible. The authors describe a phenomenon called viral interference, which you can only find really in that article and then in the repeat bloggers who are talking about this related to COVID-19. In the article, they say that viral interference happens when receiving the influenza vaccine. And that interference what it means is that if you get exposed to other respiratory infections, that the virus, that getting the vaccine could theoretically interfere with your immune response, immune system's response to that. But they conclude that receipt of influenza vaccination was not associated with viral interference amongst their population, which was a large number of, of military. And that while there may be some increase in risk in coronavirus, there was overall protection against respiratory infections. So the people who read the article would actually realize this is not what they're saying. They're not saying that influenza vaccine increases your risk of getting COVID-19 or contracting SARS-CoV-2 virus. A 2000 study, two, uh, sorry, 2013 study also found absolutely no association between receiving the flu vaccine and increased risk of any other coronavirus. So based on my read, I do not consider the limited data we have on viral interference enough to consider that getting a flu vaccine is a risk factor for developing coronavirus. And each year, the flu vaccine contains different strains, and the coronavirus right now that we're facing is entirely new. So these studies aren't even really relevant. And the current official recommendation remains to receive the flu vaccine to reduce your risk of infection, and also, which I'm not going to go into at all right now, to receive the DTaP to reduce your baby's risk of getting exposed to pertussis, which we move into pertussis season as soon as we move into the spring. So, you know, you're just thinking about what other things can you pr be protected against should you be exposed to SARS-CoV-2 um, and what can you protect your baby against should your baby be exposed? Because baby uh, children can get pertussis, although, again, the risk in kids under two is usually a little bit lower. I'm not going to go into that right now. Um, okay, so that brings me to the next point is should you take herbs or supplements to uh, to boost your immune system while you're pregnant? During pregnancy, I always recommend that pregnant women take a prenatal vitamin with ample folic acid. 400 to 800 micrograms is the recommendation. I lean toward the 800 micrograms for my pregnant 
uh, patients, as well as fish oil for essential fatty acids, because that's important for baby's brain health. And I recommend that you continue to do those things now. While there are no herbs or supplements at this time that are known to prevent or treat COVID-19, the amount of zinc and other nutrients in your prenatal vitamin should provide core nutrients that also support immunity. There's no harm in bumping up to a total of 30 milligrams of zinc daily or up to 2,000 milligrams of vitamin C daily. Loading up on these during pregnancy, however, is not recommended, so don't exceed those doses. Small studies have suggested that taking a daily probiotic could help prevent colds. Of course, that's not the same as COVID-19, and the evidence is weak, but it's not harmful to take a probiotic in pregnancy, and I usually recommend them for other reasons to support and protect the baby's microbiome, which I talk about in other podcasts and blogs that I link up to on my page over at avivaram.com. You can find it one of two ways, avivaram.com category COVID, uh, sorry, forward slash category forward slash COVID dash 19, or just go to my homepage of my website right under the picture of me, that big picture at the top. You'll see a place that says you can link to learn more about COVID-19 and my recommendations during this time. That's a full page that includes this um, podcast and blog, all my other podcasts and blog to date, including how to talk to your child about COVID-19 and the one where I talk about herbs and supplements for prevention. So I do want to say that um, adequate vitamin D levels Um, which can safely be achieved by most pregnant women taking 2,000 units of vitamin D3 daily. You want to take D3, and that's a safe dose in pregnancy, may also help support immunity. So if you're going to supplement right now, the three things I recommend, 30 milligrams of zinc daily, 2,000 units of vitamin D3 daily, 2,000 milligrams of vitamin C daily, and that includes all of what's in your prenatal, so check, and then the fish oil and 800 micrograms of folic acid or methylfolate. Herbal medicines like ginger and echinacea are also considered safe during pregnancy, but they shouldn't take the place of medication to reduce fever if you do develop COVID-19 or the flu, and shouldn't take the place of medical care if needed. Teas like chamomile, lemon balm, and ginger can help with aches and pains, as well as some digestive symptoms. And again, for more information, see the article that I linked to in this article corresponding to the podcast that we're doing right now together. All right, finally, what should you do if you think you're infected? First, don't panic. Remember, yours and baby's risks, based on all that we know right now, are low. If you have mild or moderate symptoms of COVID-19, Call your primary care provider for your pregnancy, your midwife, your OB-GYN, or your family physician, and let them know. Just like you would any time, stay at home, rest, stay well hydrated, and take all of the steps you'd take if you had the cold or flu. If you have underlying medical conditions that increase your risk of complications from COVID-19 or any respiratory infection, it's important to work with a medical doctor skilled in higher-risk prenatal care. That's like a maternal fetal medicine doctor or high-risk OB guide. Ask what you should do to mitigate your personal risks and inform him or her right away should you feel unwell or known uh, or have known or suspected COVID-19 exposure so you can get instructions on what to do. So for example, if you have asthma and you got the flu, you would 
possibly increase your medication dose, increase your inhaler use. Talk with your midwife or OB about, or family doc. All of us um, are people who attend uh, women in pregnancy and birth. Um, what your particular recommendations might be and if there's anything that needs to change. Should you need to be seen by a healthcare provider, call ahead before you go to the office, clinic, or hospital. Let them know you're sick, you're pregnant, and might have COVID-19 so they can direct you immediately to the right place while protecting other pregnant women and staff. If you seek, experience any severe symptoms or complications, seek medical help immediately. Call an ambulance if you need to. Let them know you're sick, pregnant, and have COVID-19 symptoms. Where can you go for updated information on pregnancy and SARS-CoV-2 and COVID-19? The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention page, which I linked to in the blog, is the most reliable source for medical information on COVID-19, pregnancy, and breastfeeding. OB-GYNs, family docs, CNMs, and midwives should all be uh, direct entry midwives, should, CPMs should all be staying apprised of recommendations as they evolve. If you're working with an unlicensed birth provider who might not be receiving official recommendations, like I get updates in my inbox, make sure to ask her what resources she's using to keep up to date. You should feel absolutely entitled to ask any care provider what precautions they're taking to prevent infection spreading to you. Again, insist on hand washing and basic hygiene before examining you. And I will keep this article associated with the podcast updated. So I can't realistically easily update the podcast, but I will continue to update the article as information evolves. My overall sense is that in retrospect, most of us are going to look back and breathe a sigh of relief when this is all over. There's a good chance that this virus will become part of our new seasonal virus landscape, so it's important to know about it. Knowledge is power, and now you have in your hands the basic summary of what is known to date on pregnancy, birth, breastfeeding, and COVID. I hope this helps you feel more at ease with tools you can use to support your health and enjoy your pregnancy and birth as fearlessly as possible, and I hope that you will share this with other pregnant women you know, but also your care providers. Stay tuned on my Instagram for when I do updates and add new uh, blogs to this page and new podcasts. We'll be announcing that in stories. Stay well. And, you know, as you settle in, I hope you experience some joyous, loving, restful time with your family that your families are spared, you know, severe consequences during this time. And I'll keep you posted. You know, you've got me in in your corner, um, really, really pushing other things aside to be a support person during this time. you enjoyed this episode of natural md radio if you did please go to avivaram.com and join the conversation about the show on my blog and while you're there be sure to sign up for my newsletter it's free and it's jam-packed with powerful tips to help you take back your health naturally that's avivaram.com take care and see you next time